know, the, the, one of the most fun times of our early marriage was watching Andrew tidy up toys with the children. I mean, he could make anything fun. It was amazing. So thank you, Wonder Man, for all you do. You're just amazing. We are continuing our sermon series on the Ten Commandments. I was speaking to some people before the service, and they were mentioning how it's impacted them just this week. Just this week, they were having to start thinking about, uh, or they, they were inspired, should I say, rather, to start thinking about what they worship and who is first in their lives and idols that perhaps God is asking them to get rid of or abandon and I was so blessed by that. Isn't God so faithful to just speak to our hearts, to give us what we actually desire, and that is holiness. So let's press in. Let's find the things that God has for us. So Lord Jesus, I pray that as we continue with the sermon series, Lord God, that you would, you would help us. Lord God, I don't want this to be legalism. I don't want this to be just a set of rules. I want us to encounter your heart as we go through these Ten Commandments. I want us, I want us to see who you are, and I want our hearts to explode with gratitude and delight in the glory of who you are. Holy Spirit, would you come and touch us, speak to us as I speak. Lord God, more than my words would they hear your words. Thank you, Lord. Amen. And amen. Finding freedom through the Ten Commandments. So here we have two pictures that were drawn by children when they were asked, what does God look like? So I'm not sure if you can see them at the back, but one is like, it looks like kind of a young boy standing in the clouds and he's got a kind of a wry smile on his face and he's letting lightning bolts loose out of his hands. And the little caption says, when God is angry, thunder comes from him and he lets loose lightning from his hands. So that was that child's view of God. He obviously had quite an angry father, that's my guess. And then we have another one, and this is a, a Superman kind of a version, and he's, he's streaming through the sky with, with obviously at great speed because he's got those speed lines coming out, out of him with a smile on his face, and it says there, God is my superhero. God is a superhero to me. Lovely, lovely, lovely. These are, these are two kind of views of God I, uh, as drawn by children. But I, I wonder if God looks like that. Any guesses? I, my guess is that God may not. When, when we get to actually see him with our real eyes, with our eyes, those are the only kind of eyes we have, with our eyes, I'm not sure that he's going to look like that. Have you ever thought about how celebrities guard their image? You know, they have publicists that scour the internet 24-7 to find pictures of them and to make sure that those pictures comply with the kind of impression they want to give the world. Do you know that? And if the picture doesn't comply, you know, maybe they had a court at a bar at a bad moment and, you know, there's beer sloshing out of their mouth or something, that publicist will go to and say, no, we've got to take that picture down. How much do you, how much you need to take that picture down or whatever they do or sue the person, I'm not sure. But they get the picture taken down down. Why? Because they're very careful about their image. 
They want to make sure that the world sees them as they want to be seen. Now, sometimes that's a false image, of course. But God most certainly is interested in how the world sees him because a lot hangs on that. How you view God affects so much of, of the way you live. And there are so many narratives out there about who God is. You hear them all the time. God has abandoned me. I don't want to go to church because I'll just be judged there. These are all narratives about who God is. And many of those narratives keep people away from him because they falsely represent him to the world. So God is very, very careful about his image, or very concerned about his image, and very concerned that the correct image of who he is is displayed to the world. This brings us to the second commandment. You may not have seen it by, like this, but I, I hope by the end of today you will see it in a deeper way. It goes like this. For you shall not make for yourself an image, or an idol, some translations say, in the form of anything in heaven above, or on the earth beneath, or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You know, as a people, as, as a human race, we are addicted to the tangible. It's like, if I can't see it, it's not real. If I don't personally feel it, then maybe it's not real. You know, if if I don't feel like God loves me, then maybe he's not loving me. And what ends up happening is that because we, we are addicted to the tangible, when we feel like God is far away, we often take other tangible things and put them close as a way of comforting our hearts. And throughout history, people groups have done this. They have made idols. And these idols were meant to represent to the world the God they served. Because the intangible was too difficult for them to grasp. And of course, as we learned in the first commandment, that there really is only one God. So if you're making an idol of a false God, then it's, it's a dub, doubly false, you know? The thing it represents doesn't even exist, and, and it itself has no power. But there is a way in which Israel, through its history, actually, actually began to feel distant from God because they couldn't touch him. All the other nations had gods that, were, you know, they had idols, they had statues. And, and so, soon, even after they'd received this commandment, they made some golden calves. And you often think that's terrible idolatry, but they called those golden calves Yahweh. You understand? They thought they were worshipping the God who had brought them out of Egypt by worshipping these golden calves. It's like they needed, they felt like they needed a tangible thing. But here's my question to you. Does God look like a cow? And so in creating these images, in essence, what they've done is they've limited their perspective of God to something much smaller than who God is. 
And you see, part of this commandment is not just for God's glory. It's also the fact that if we, if we represent God too small, we limit our own capacity to trust him and believe him. This commandment, of course, it's for God's glory, but it's also for your good. Guys, have you ever been misrepresented? Everyone here has been misrepresented. You know, when I was at university, I was dating a really handsome guy. He wasn't Andrew. Then I met Jesus, and I realized this relationship is going nowhere. It is founded on all the wrong things. It has no, no future. We used to fight like cat and dog. I mean, it was just, it was a disastrous relationship. And so after finding Jesus, I had the courage to, to look this relationship in the eye and say, this relationship is ungodly. Yes. And so, <laughs> and I, so I broke up with him. You know, when I walked into my lectures the next day, all my my friends were like standing in a little huddle, you know the huddle, standing in a little huddle, talking in hushed tones. As I walked in, they looked up, got a frightened look on their face, abandoned the huddle, and smiled sweetly. I mean, you know exactly what they were talking about. And the rumors spread about how mean Carol was and how unfaithful she was, and she must have another guy somewhere. I said, yes, I do. His name is Jesus. But guys, it hurt. It hurt. Pe people I was close to didn't, didn't want to be my friend anymore. Or there was, you could feel this thing between us. And sometimes the way the world represents God, sometimes the way we erroneously represent God to the world, forms a wedge between people and God. And God hates that. God hates that. I want to look at the first portion of this commandment. It says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. Now, some of your Bibles will say you shall not make for yourself an idol. But idol image is kind of Inter, interplay, you can use either one here. Mostly we read that as don't serve a foreign God and then make an idol that represents that God and bow down to it. Mostly we've read that like that. But that's pretty much covered in the first commandment that we did last week. Have no other gods before you. Before me, sorry. Have no other gods before me, God said to them. So pretty much, although, yes, that is true and can certainly be read into this, God is getting at a lot more in this scripture. He is, he is most certainly saying that he wants to... He wants to define himself. You see, he is, he's certain that, that any way we define him is going to be less than he really is. And so he wants to define himself. Do you remember that fantastic story where earlier in Exodus, 
Moses, Exodus 3 if you want to go and read it, Moses is being called by God and he's in the wilderness and he sees this bush that is burning and not burning up. And then he approaches it, he takes off his shoes because he realizes it's holy ground and, and God speaks to him from the burning bush. Do you remember that story? It's kind of like a bedrock of our faith. And at that moment, God asks him to go and liberate Israel who are slaves in Egypt at the time. He asks God two questions. First, he said, who am I to do this? In other words, heck, I don't really want to do this. Why have you chosen me? Who am I, he says. God doesn't answer his question at all. God says, I'll be with you. I am with you. In other words, the answer to your questions about your identity are immaterial because God is with you. Honestly and truly, who you are, like your upbringing, your, what kind of culture you were born into, uh, whether you were poor or wealthy when you were born, are immaterial to your future in light of the fact that God is with you. That is the most important thing about you, is that God is with you. Yeah, I know that's good. The second thing that happens... He says, he first is asking, who am I? Then he basically asks, who are you? Good question. When a voice speaks to you out of a fire, first thing you should ask, who are you? This, this also always astounds me because God, I mean, God's going to now pick a name for himself. Basically, God's going to pick a name. I mean, what, if you were God, what would you call yourself? I mean, I might call myself the fiery, amazing one that spews lightning bolts out of my hands. But God doesn't do that. He doesn't call himself the God of creation. He doesn't call himself the God of the stream. He doesn't call the God who is mighty and powerful. He says, I am that I am. In other words, I exist. I, I am the existing one. I mean, it's crazy. It's not a name. It doesn't even work grammatically. It's just strange. But God, what he is standing there and saying is, the important thing you need to know about, the most important thing is I exist, therefore everything else exists. I'm the pre-existing one. I existed before anything existed. I exist because I exist. Nothing caused me to exist. I am that I am. And here's the powerful thing about it is that, as I said, everything exists because I exist. Nothing in this creation defines me. I define everything in this creation. So you see, when we try to define God, we always define him too small. We always define him by virtue of our experience. You know, he's the God who helps my paycheck last to the end of the month. Yes, he's that, but he's so much more. He's the God who found me a fantastic husband. Yes, but he's so much more. He's the God who's angry at sin. Yes, but he's so much more. And there is nothing you can say about God that will contain him. And so God, not wanting his image to the world to be limited to one, two, three, four things, not being limited to your experience, is determined that he will define himself to the world. Do you know this? 
that you cannot even find God on your own. Because what you will find will be some inferior version of God. What you will find will be something that your mind will make up. You cannot find God on your own. God must come and reveal himself to you. This is why Jesus, God, had to step down into the world as Jesus Christ because he knew that at some stage I must let the world see who I am without them having to figure it out. I must make myself known because they cannot find me on their own. Because their thinking is too small. Their capacity is too little. But you see, this is the important thing, is that God must reveal himself to you. Your, your issue is how are you going to respond to that revelation? You see, we talk so much about seeking the Lord, and, and I know what we mean. We mean making ourselves available to him. Yes, yes, yes. But, but really the issue is, is that through Jesus Christ, he has made himself available to you. He has come. He is here. Whether you feel it or not, he is with you every second of the day. Whether you know it or not, he is blessing you. As I said, we are addicted to the tangible. But what if he loves you even if you don't feel it? What if he's blessing it even if you can't, you can't immediately count the rands in your bank? And part of our journey with him is to allow him to define himself more and more. Something is not true because you feel it. It's true because God said it. And we have to allow that aspect of God to become real to us. In essence, we must stop making images. We must start looking at the real God. And allowing him to define himself to us over and over and over. Reveal himself to us over and over and over. You don't read your Bible to tick a box. You read your Bible so that your heart and mind can be expanded to see more of God. You don't come to church just because you're supposed to. You come to church so that your mind and your heart can be expanded through the people around you. Just the conversations I had before church started this morning made me see God better. You see, our ability to see God move is limited by a limited view of him. You know, when I broke up with that guy, I prayed to the Lord for a husband. I, I was sure he would give me a tall, wealthy, athletic man. You know what? <laughs> With long hair, someone said. <laughs> oh, guys, you're funny. You know, he could have given me that. In fact, a few came along. And I, you know, I was like, oh, maybe this is the God one. But it turned out it wasn't. 
And then God gave me a world changer. God gave me a life partner who would go and plant churches. And you know, it didn't matter how tall or short he was. It didn't matter how, hair, how much hair he had or didn't have. It mattered that Jesus was his first love and that I was his second and that we were going to change the world. And you see, my limited view only let me see that far. But God wanted me to see this far. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad he invaded. When Andrew walked in the room, God invaded my mind and let me see. Wow. Yeah. You see, our ability to see God move is limited by a limited view of him. Because what if I had said, no, that's not what I asked for. What if I'd said that? <laughs> For those who can't hear what Andrew just said, he said, my children would have been taller. My children are just the right height. See, our ability to see God move is limited by our limited view of him. Let's move on to the next part of the commandment. It says, you shall not bow down to them, these images, or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. I said to you last week that what happened if Andrew uh, came and happened to look in my handbag uh, today, and there he found a little picture of that boyfriend that I broke up with. You know, no one in this room... Would, would hold it against Andrew for being angry. No one would, be, would do that. No one would hold it against Andrew for coming to me and saying, please don't see that guy anymore. No one would hold it against Andrew. That's a natural consequence of exclusive love. Is that you are jealous of the things that threaten that love. <laughs> say it again, I will say it again. That is the natural consequence of exclusive love, that you are jealous of the things that threaten that love. And so you see, God, God called us into an exclusive love relationship with him. And indeed, he is angry with the things that threaten that. He's not angry with you, but he indeed is angry with the things that threaten his love relationship with you. On my fourth hour of Netflix one day, <laughs> I felt like the Spirit of God come to me, and he wasn't feeling comforting. It wasn't that kind, squidgy kind of feeling from God. It was like a strong, fiery presence of God. And he said to me, who do you love? And I was like, you, Lord. He said, I can't tell. And indeed, I was like, I have to make some adjustments here. I have to make some adjustments here. 
It's like, where am I spending my time? What am I doing with my finances? These are revealing something about me. And they're either a wedge or a conduit. They're either a wedge between me of God or they're facilitating an increased intimacy between me and God. And now I've got nothing against Netflix. I still watch it. I just don't try not to do four hours at a time. I know none of you have done that. None of you. You see, God actually wants to be worshipped exclusively. Now this sounds so arrogant. Doesn't it sound arrogant? I mean, God wants to be your all in all and no others. He will not take competition. He will not endure interference. He wants to be worshipped exclusively. And I don't know how you feel about this. Often when I've read these portions of scripture, I felt like a little, it's like, God, you know, do you have something wrong with your self-esteem? That you need all this. But of course it's not that. You know, God has nothing wrong with his self-esteem. He actually believes he's the greatest thing in creation. Because he is. He's actually very secure in his existence, his own power, his own righteousness, his own truth, his own loveliness. He's very secure in that. He doesn't need your worship to feel better about himself. But you see, when you worship something, you place that thing above you. So if I were to worship the concept of wealth, like everything in my life would be orientated towards being wealthy. I would place that as a goal above me. In essence, I would begin to serve that goal. It would become my master. And here's the thing is when God created this universe, who did he give the entire of creation? Who did he give dominion over it to? To mankind. In other words, in God's eyes, you are above everything in creation. There is only one thing above you, and that's God himself. You see, when you worship anything else, you make yourself subservient to it, and you degrade yourself. So the bottom line is, to worship anything but God is to diminish your own existence. Because you are meant to be master of that thing, not worshiper of that thing. The other interesting thing that the Bible talks about, talks about in 2 Corinthians 3.18, it talks about the fact when you gaze upon something, when you adore something, you are transferred into its image, or transformed, should I say, into its image. All you soccer fans out there, I know that I know that I know that you have a Lionel Messi t-shirt at home. And I mean, please have your Lionel Messi t-shirt. He's fantastic. But, the, but there's a way in which when we spend our time thinking about, meditating on, gazing on something, that thing slowly starts to transform us into its image. And God's plans for you 
are so magnificent, so incredible, so much that you are meant to be conformed into his image as you go, to represent to the world a God who loves them, to radiate the power and the nature of God into your environment. That's his plan for you. And when you worship other things, you put a lid on that plan and prevent it from coming to pass. Because you get conformed into another image instead of into the image of Jesus Christ. God wants to be worshipped exclusively. And to worship anything other than God doesn't degrade God. It degrades you. The final part of that commandment says that God will punish the children for the sins of their father to the third and fourth generation. Can we all tremble in our boots right now? of those who hate him, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. The bottom line is this, is that our response to this command determines the well-being of not just us, but generations to come. You see, the good news is this, is you can come from the most reprobate, ungodly genetic line ever. If you from this moment choose to serve God, draw a line in the sand, everything changes because now you've got a thousand years of blessing overwhelming those four, I mean a thousand generations of blessing overwhelming those four or five generations of curses. You see, you can make a change, not just for yourself, but for generations to come. We'll be reaping the effects of your godliness of your worship of God, of your unwillingness to make images, but to, to turn constantly to the real God and say, yes, you the one I want. Reveal yourself to me. Change me into your image. That causes waves and waves and waves of generational blessing. A thousand generations, guys, it's a very long time. At minimum, it's 20,000 years. At the rate we have babies these days, it's 40,000 years. It's a long time. It's a long time of God putting a stamp on your children, children's 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 children for, for a very long time, just stamp saying blessed, 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 blessed. To worship anything other than God is to poison your children. But to worship only God is to bless your children. The last thing I want to say in my conclusion is God wants to be known as he really is everywhere. You see, from the, the minute that God said, let there be light. God has been looking forward to a world where he dwells in communion with his greatest creation, mankind. Where he lives in intimacy, where your thoughts and his thoughts are intertwined, where, where he knows the things you love and he knows the things you hate and you know the things he loves and the things he's hate and you're working together towards something magnificent. It's been his desire from the very beginning. 
we learned that God doesn't want images made of himself because any image will be inferior to who he really is. But God did make for himself an image. When he molded Adam and Eve together from the dust of the earth and breathed life into them, he said, these are the ones will be my image. I make them in my image. You see, God has made an image for himself. There is no need to make an image because you stand as the image of God to creation. When God wants to reveal himself to the world, who will he do it through? He will do it through his image bearers, you and me. He will come and he will stamp himself on you and in you and reveal his life to the world through you. would happen? I was dreaming about this this week. What would happen if in this area, maybe like five, ten kilometers radius from this church, I don't know, maybe you live more, so we'll, we'll extend 20 kilometers from this church all around. What would happen if in every complex, housing complex, there was a connect group? Speaking of, talking about, inviting to the presence of God. What would happen if in every business there was a connect group? A group of God-fearing men and women meeting and praying and reaching out together. What would happen if in every school in that radius there was a connect group? of people holding hands and trusting God for impact in that school? What would happen if on every street, in every public place, in every, in every coffee shop, there was a connect group meeting to be together with Jesus and to reveal his image and his nature to the people around there? What would happen? What would happen to this region of South Africa? I'm going to propose something to you. It wouldn't care what, who that was in government. It wouldn't matter who was making the laws. Because in this area, we would have peace. In this area, we'd have prosperity. In this area, we would have life. The blessings of God would be touching everything. What would happen if we took seriously the mandate that started in the Garden of Eden, that came through Jesus Christ to make disciples of all nations, that started with God placing his image on us and saying, have dominion, reach the world, show them who I am. You find out who I am and then show it to the world. What would happen to the world? I promise you, it would be amazing. I want to pray, Lord Jesus. For every person here. Lord God, I'm asking. I'm asking that you would come. And Lord God, where, where they don't know 
that they are the image of God, where they don't know that you have called them, that you love them, that they belong to you. Lord Jesus, would you, would you touch them now? Those things that have obscured that revelation, would you remove them? Father God, where there are people here who, who have allowed wedges to come between you and them, you, your love relationship with them, Lord God, would you speak to them now? Lord God, would you help them? And as you've helped me so graciously, Lord God, and will continue, I, I pray that you will help us on a continuing basis to let go more and more of those things that are standing as wedges and to more and more clearly see you as you really are. Lord God, come and reveal yourself. Strip away in our minds the things that obscure you. Holy Spirit, make us able to see. Forgive us for our addiction to the tangible and help us to see with the eyes of the Spirit, Lord God, so that we can know what is true. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord.